The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome, everyone. Nice to see you here. So, some of you know um, I've been giving talks maybe since May on this uh, important list in, in Buddhism called the Paramis. And it's discussed differently in different places, different traditions. But in the early Buddhist tradition, we think of ten qualities of the heart. And when they're developed, then the mind uh, is sort of like we have the mind of a Buddha. That's sort of, at least metaphorically, how this list of wholesome qualities is thought of. So, so far we've talked about generosity, moral sensitivity or moral integrity, this uh, deep valuing of non-harming, that's the second. And then there was renunciation, wisdom, the last three or four weeks I talked about. Now we're on to the fifth, which is energy. And then there's, I think it goes truthfulness, resoluteness, um, patience, kindness, and equanimity. But don't get too tight about you know this particular set of ten because we're just talking about wholesome qualities. You could probably divide it any number of ways. And interestingly, when we get a sense of any of these wholesome qualities actually operating in our heart and our mind, we basically find the others there. You know, if you're really kind and you've developed that quality in your personality and it becomes natural, and it really blossoms like uncontrived kindness, you know, you're going to have a resoluteness, there's going to be a wisdom associated with that kindness and a patience and a generosity and all the others. So let's, but it's good, it's really useful to you know, just in terms of understanding the map of our heart and mind, it's good to explore, to have these lists and to gather like we're doing tonight. What do we mean by wholesome or wise effort? And you might remember from the sit tonight, you know, and I think this is good homework because we'll talk about this for the next few weeks. You know, what is the effort when I've been lost in thought or just the mind doing what it normally does, spinning, thinking, planning, remembering, fantasizing. And basically, you know, we fill up the space of the day with that kind of mental activity. It's not bad, it's what we would call ordinary. You know, this is what an ordinary person does. Somebody asked one of the great teachers from the last century, then, like uh, when I, I think it was a Thai, of the Thai monks and, and the Thai forest tradition, you know, how would you characterize the world that we live in, humans? And he, he said something like, lost in thought. Like that's the simple, direct, easy way to characterize the world we live in. People are basically, mostly, lost in thought. Even when we're conversing with each other, you know, we're not really showing up for each other. I'm kind of in my bubble, tolerating whoever you are lost in your bubble, you know. But we're basically 
get our ideas about stuff. So um, this first effort, like just in terms of exploring what the Buddha might mean by wise effort, the first one is just to be, just to value being present and to understand what kind of effort, skillful, wholesome effort, does the mind make to clarify, oh, this is being known. So you could call, this is just a moment of mindfulness, which we could define as recognizing the present moment, or even better, more technically, remembering to recognize the present moment. And, you know, just because mindfulness is now a thing in our culture, there's a lot of misunderstanding what mindfulness is, because we often think mindfulness means me directing my attention to something. Like, I'm bringing my attention to my breathing, or I'm bringing my attention to my walking, and then therefore I'm mindful. But that's, that's, mindfulness is not the same as focusing my attention on some activity. Mindfulness is a little bit more, or maybe a lot more subtle than that, but it's very ordinary at the same time. But it's a very particular reflective knowing. So it isn't about focusing my attention. Like I said during the guided meditation, it doesn't really matter what we're aware of to be mindful. What matters is the wisdom in the mind recognizing that this is an experience being known. So this first kind of effort we're going to work on this next few weeks, what kind of effort do I need to make? What kind of wise effort? Because it always involves wisdom, right? Because it's subtle. It's not like a blunt effort. What kind of effort do you right now, and I right now, do we need to make? Because we could be mindful in this moment, of course. Any moment will do. What kind of effort do we need to make to realize, to remember, oh yeah, this is an experience being known. It's like this now. Whether we're sort of using the visceral experience of sitting to recognize the present moment, or you're using the sound of my voice and the meaning that my words are constructing for you. But whatever the attention attends to, mindfulness is recognizing, so it isn't the same as consciousness, it's recognizing what the mind is conscious of. Do you see the difference? So it's, it's, like, a, it's like a stepping back and realizing there's a conscious mind sensitive to bodily and mental activity, and it's like this now. And it might be a moment of recognizing the mind being really neurotic, or a moment of recognizing the mind being really skillful, but it's that reflective knowing that this experience, this moment is being known, being felt, it's like this now. And of course I have to, because I'm talking, I have to use words, and you might also want, you know, silently in your mind, to use some of the same language if it's helpful. But you don't need this language. You don't need to be saying to yourself, this is being known. But it might be helpful from time to time, especially if you've been distracted for a while to, you know, for some personality types, 
that sort of skillful thought or skillful languaging can be useful. So don't be afraid to try it, like to repeat some of the things you hear me saying in your own mind through the day. But ultimately, we don't want to be dependent even on that kind of labeling or self-talk. We want to realize that, like, and this really goes to the next effort about sustaining present moment awareness, because it would get real weird if I just said to myself over and over again, this is being known, now this is being known, now this is being, now this is being, you know, that would get pretty neurotic. So the question then, the second question, so the first question again was, what sort of effort do I need to make, does the mind need to make, to recognize the present moment? To recognize that the present moment is being known. And the second effort, which requires the first effort, is what kind of effort is needed to sustain present moment awareness, to sustain mindful, mindful awareness? Right? And, and this, is, this is actually, you know, it's a pretty potent experience. I always think, I try to think of like ways to describe this because it's a bit of an exponential function, like when we have some sustained present moment awareness, very quickly the mind enters new territory. You could even call it an altered state. And uh, some of you have been at it for a while where you've bumped in to periods of time where you've had sustained mindful awareness. You can even get frightened. Not that there's anything dangerous about being present with reality. <laughs> you know, it's like, how could that be dangerous? If being present with reality is dangerous, we're definitely screwed. <laughs> right? So it's not dangerous, but it's different than we normally experience our life, because we're mostly what? Lost in thought. So when we have sustained present moment awareness, it feels, it appears like it's an altered state, because it's unfamiliar, because we're mostly lost in thought. And the power of the mind really builds, like I said, in an exponential way. If you don't know the math, forgot your, whatever it was, sophomore algebra from high school. You know, it's like, it really increases fast. The power, when we sustain present moment awareness, the coming together, that's, you've heard me probably, some of you use the word samadhi, which sometimes we don't translate, because it, it's often in the text translated badly as concentration. It'd be better translating as a unification, a coming together of the energies of the mind and heart, or uh, stabilizing. You could even, even though it's a little weird to say it this way, solidifying of the mind. It's not like actually the mind becomes solid, but that the sort of uh, subjective experience is feeling really like <clears throat> in the moment solid in the moment, here and now. But it's really the mind-heart coming together around the activity of mindfulness, of recognizing this as being known. And that stability, moment by moment, recognizing this is being known, this is being known, without the words. The clarity, and not just the clarity of the mind, but also the inner well-being that is precisely that, that inner good feeling, well-being, 
is there precisely because the mind isn't dissipated, scattered, pushed around by its likes and dislikes, flitting about, looking for pleasure, looking for something dramatic or enticing to look at, to think about, to react to. It's not doing what it normally does. Instead, it's unified in this simple, it's so simple, but subtle, activity of recognizing the present moment, remembering to recognize the present moment. It's really there, doing that, one thing. And the mind is, in a way, healed in that, healed from its habits of distractedness and superficiality and being pushed around by its likes and dislikes. And so the question is, well, what kind of effort does the mind need to make that allows mindfulness to be sustained? And when we can do that, then we can learn the third kind of effort, which is, how is it that the continuity of mindfulness gets interrupted and how, what kind of effort needs to be made to not take those off-ramps, right? So we have some sustained present moment awareness here, here, here. This is being known. It's like this now. Can this be okay? Yeah, it's just this, uh, just the next experience being known, the next experience being known moment by moment. So we have some sustained presence and then something seductive, something enticing, something scary, something desirable arises, and the mind forgets its intention to be mindfully aware, and instead, you know, just to kind of say it in a buddhist way, we take, the mind takes birth as the one who wants to figure out this problem or wants to imagine this thing, right? And we get lost in that bubble that the mind creates. A little bit like a dream, you know? Oh, I gotta figure this out. That's a little birth of a dream, and then who we are is that character in the dream, but there's no mindful awareness that I'm lost in this thought. There's no mindful awareness that I'm caught up. As Soon as we know, even a little bit, that we're caught up, then mindfulness is back online, at least to some degree. Oh, I'm drowning with this content, with this drama, right? But there's some mindfulness there. Otherwise, we wouldn't know we were wrapped up, tied up in knots, worried about this, planning that, or whatever it might be. So the third kind of effort is, how can we be aware of the off-ramps, the seductions that arise because of external experience, or because of internal experience, like a memory showing up, or pain in the body, whatever it might be, that might be the trigger for distraction. What kind of effort do we need to make to see those off-ramps without being confused by them, and to, in a sense, reinitiate mindful awareness? So we're making the effort to learn something about oh, this is what mindful awareness is in this moment, and then how to sustain it. And the effort to, like, even when we have gotten lost, how to find our way back to the present moment, 
how to unhook. And the, and the trick here, you know, just to, we'll, we'll go in more depth over the weeks, but the trick here when the mind is distracted is to realize it's so amazing. This is a powerful insight. It's just something being felt and known. So whatever hole we've been in, whatever drama we've been caught up in, whatever experience we've ever had in our life, it's always, it always comes down to this experience being known. And when I say known, I also mean felt. So it's not just a thought, it's this experience is what it is. It's an, and right now, like the experience that's showing up for each of us, moment by moment right now, that's something being known. And you could call that, as we do sometimes in early Buddhism, that's a moment of mind, in a way. The mind is knowing this. And in a way, there's always two things, but they're not really two things, it's just two sides of the same things. There's the object that's being known. So in a sense, like, one facet or one perspective on the moment is is being known, and the other facet, the object or the experience that's being known, whether it's a sound being heard, a thought being thought, a sight being seen, a sensation being felt, this experience is being known. And mindfulness, wisdom awareness, is what realizes that's what's happening in the moment. There's this being known. So it's a radical clarification and simplification because it cuts through the delusion. You see, now, normally, probably like it is for us right now, we exist in this place which is mostly story where there's this past that's somewhere back there, like earlier today, and the future which is somewhere, you know, wherever we cognitively locate it, which is just a thought, just mental processing, right? So we have the sense of behind the past, the future in front. Many, we, we live in the world of concepts. This is Minneapolis, and it is our reality. But subjectively, actually, right now, it's just an experience being known. There's sensation being known, there's thought being known, there's emotion being felt, there's sights, sounds, smells and tastes, and that's it. And whatever it is that's being known, it's very ephemeral because there's the next moment of something being known. And in every moment there's so many, and, and the awareness, the attention will only tune in to one little bit of what's here. But what really characterizes each moment is how it's always in motion. But it doesn't seem that way because we're mostly identified with the content that our thoughts construct, the meaning our thoughts construct, which gives this moment a lot of um, concreteness it doesn't actually have. But this is our predicament. So this is why these efforts are called wise, because they radically transform our experience as a human being. We make the effort to recognize the present moment, a moment of mindfulness. We make the effort to sustain 
And we make this effort to learn about distraction, distractedness. We don't really learn anything about the nature of the mind getting caught in thought until we have sustained present moment awareness. It's the contrast that really teaches us what distractedness is. Like we know what it is as a concept. But we don't really, it's so amazing when we, I'll give a, a simple example of this. One of my earlier, longer retreats in the 90s, I did a three month retreat at Insight Meditation Center in Massachusetts, kind of our grandmother institution right in the middle of the state near Barrie, Massachusetts. And uh, yeah, I was probably six weeks into the retreat and I was doing some walking meditation practice and I had some pretty good continuity of awareness. And uh, no, just uh, a habit of, you know, just having doubt. Am I doing this right? Am I good at meditation? You know, that sort of thing. Do I know what I'm doing? Just sort of arose. It arose in the context of a lot of continuity of mindfulness. So like for one of the first times, with a lot of clarity, sort of penetrating clarity, the mind, or wisdom in the mind, really understood that that pattern of doubting, self-doubt, for what it was, which is, it's just the next thing being known. Before that insight, when doubt would arise, it was always me who had doubt. Because that's the habit, to infuse that psychological pattern with a lot of self, a lot of me and mine, right? That's me, I've got the doubt. That's how, when, this is what happens. If you did something now that made you feel defensive or insecure, you all yawned or something like that, and, and then some emotion arose in me, the strong habit of the mind is to personalize that emotion. Maybe I'm not very good at what I'm doing. You know, or maybe this talk isn't very interesting or something like that. And then immediately identifying with whatever thought I had. And then the emotion, the charge, emotional charge, would, oh yeah, this, it would sort of reinforce the conclusion the mind just made. And then that conclusion being reinforced would trigger the charge again and it would just feel so definitively me. I'm screwed. I'm in trouble. How can I spice up the talk? You know, how can I save the day? So in that moment, on that retreat, you know, just seeing the doubting mind arise in the context of stability of mindfulness, then the mind or wisdom was able to see that's just the next thing being known. It's not very personal. I didn't do, nobody did that doubt. It arose because of causes and conditions, naturally. And when it was seen, it was like so liberating. I still have that pattern, but I'm, it's not nearly, I mean, it's just radically less seductive. The mind doesn't get that identified with it, right? And, and sometimes that analysis that, you know, I'm not that good at this, or, you know, that's accurate. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be a problem. We don't have to build a sense of self about around what we're good at or bad at. It's just 
data. Yeah, I'm maybe not that good at this. Or maybe I'm really good at this. But it doesn't have to be a cause for pride or self-hate. It's just that experience being known. And that is so liberating. But we don't learn that this is really that third insight where we're learning about what interrupts the, the self-centered drama stuff that interrupts the continuity of awareness. That those insights really depend on having some continuity. Because it's the contrast that reveals what those psychological, emotional, spiritual patterns are. They're the next thing being known. And this is why we make effort. And it is a bit cumulative. doesn't mean you perfect this before we start able to have insight here, but we really need mostly initially to get curious. And it's independent, you know. It doesn't matter what I say. You have to figure it out, discover it on your own. You use the words that you hear when you read or when you hear a talk like tonight. But then you go home and you have a quiet time or you're doing your formal morning sit or whatever. And you, this theme, what is it to be mindful? But not cognitively, what is it to be mindful intellectually, but what does it mean? You know, and then we have a little study. Well, what does it mean to be mindful of sitting? So we use some concrete experience like the physicality of sitting or the physicality of breathing in and breathing out or the, or the physical experience of seeing or hearing or whatever anchor or the just whatever's predominant moment by moment, right? So these are the different so-called meditation objects or techniques we can use doesn't really matter if you're doing an open awareness, whatever's predominant, or using hearing, or whole body awareness, or awareness of the breath. What matters is to be exploring, what does it mean to recognize that this is being known? What does it mean to sustain that recognition of the present moment is being known, moment by moment? What does it mean to learn something about how the mind is drawn back into thinking, reactive patterns, getting lost in thought. How to begin again? What kind of effort is that? This is from one of my teachers, Saida Utejaniya. He's a Burmese monk, a Buddhist monk, and a wonderful teacher. He hasn't been coming to the States. He got cancer a few years back, so he hasn't been in the country. And then, of course, the pandemic. But So in one of his uh, books, which are just... Uh, you can get several of his books for free online. They're just in PDF format. You just go to saidautejaniya.org. Um, you could just contact the center. We, I think we have the link under our resources on our website um, where you can get... Uh, download some of his books. And they're just transcriptions of, you know, basically the way he teaches. He doesn't give too many talks. He just meets with small groups and answers questions and then transcribe them and turn them into books. So in one of those places he wrote or said, it is very important to keep trying to maintain the intention 
to remain aware all the time. So when he's saying aware, he means this recognition that this is being known. So awareness, you know, it's subtle, but we're making a distinction between being conscious. You can drive home tonight or ride your bicycle home, and of course you're going to be conscious, otherwise you're not going to be able to do it. But you can get home and realize, I wasn't aware while I rode home. I was conscious. I took the right turns. I sped up, slowed down appropriately. But I was totally lost in the spot as I was riding my bike home or driving home. But being mindfully aware going home, it means you're aware of the physicality of the bike riding. And when you get distracted, there's at least a thread of awareness that knows, oh, I'm obsessing about this again. It feels like this in the body that I'm obsessing about this. This is the content spinning in the mind and how it feels and the content. And so there's some thread of awareness, you know, and then realizing you're not really paying attention and you're back to just the physicality of seeing and feeling the body moving and the hearing of the sounds and then back into the content of the drama, whatever is seductive. So we could be mindfully aware, but a lot of life we're just on autopilot, conscious, but not mindfully aware. So he says, it's very important to keep trying to maintain the intention to remain aware all the time. And really to maintain the intention means we value mindful awareness. And presumably, at least in part, we're here because either we're appropriately afraid of living our life distracted, it's an appropriate fear. Because when we're distracted, lost in thought most of the time, we're basically on autopilot, meaning our habits have the run of our life. And I don't know about you, but our habits aren't necessarily that skillful or helpful. But when we're mindful, then we're mindfully aware of habit energies, and we're mindfully aware of whether those habit energies are intuitively felt as skillful or helpful or not. And then we can be mindfully aware of the possibility of refraining from acting on certain habits because they're not helpful. So mindfulness creates all these choices that when we're on autopilot, whatever habit has the most momentum, it just sort of carries the day, runs the show. But when I'm mindful, I'll feel the predominant habit, I'll, in a sense, taste it, sense that it's not helpful or that it is helpful. If it's not helpful, I'll sense the possibility of feeling it, so I'm not repressing it, but not acting on it. But that only, that choice only exists because I'm mindful. He goes on and says, whether awareness is actually continuous or not, this points to the essential quality of right effort, persistence. It's not a forceful effort, but rather an inner determination to sustain the tiny bit of energy you need in each moment to know you are aware and to keep that going. So let's just take that up as a little study right now because we could be relatively distracted 
or relatively mindful right now. So, because he says, you know, that um, an inner determination to sustain the tiny bit of energy you need in each moment to know that you are aware and to keep that going. So, is it true that it's a tiny bit of, uh, of energy? Let's just see. Just look now in our subjective experience. You don't have to shift your posture, of course. What kind of energy do I need to keep recognizing that this is being known? What does it mean to have that reflective, oh yeah, it's like this, the subjective experience of the body and the mind, this moment is like this. See, it's just that very simple, subtle kind of energy or efforting to sustain mindful awareness. And you know what the most like useful or helpful trick? It has a lot to do with interest or curiosity. Or like I said a few moments ago, valuing the present moment. And what really helps with that interest and curiosity, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, is like to recognize that it's new territory. Because part of what it is to be human is like we're curious creatures. And to see that we don't actually know that much about living with awareness. It's like a whole world, as I mentioned earlier, almost like an altered state. A whole world opens up. We just see so much of what we normally miss in terms of our own psychological patterns, but also everybody else's stuff. Because we just become, that, like I mentioned, the awareness just becomes stronger and more stable and more clear. And it doesn't bother to judge anything because the motivation is to just want to recognize the way it is. Just the de wholesome desire to just want to see clearly, feel deeply the way it is. Let the cards fall as they do. It's not about fixing our life or fixing the world. It really comes from this place, this wholesome, I mentioned this wholesome fear, wholesome concern that I'm disconnected. That I'm just sort of doing the same thing in different ways, getting the same results spinning my wheels. Well, how can I change this? And this is the key, is that we, we change in this very simple but fundamental way. That the, the ingredient we add to our life that's been missing is this mindful presence and the continuity of this mindful presence and really letting the energy build as it will. Another place, Saito Utechiniya says, you don't try to see harder. You don't try to look closer. You just have to wait for the eyeglasses to become clear. Right? And that's the thing. It's not about... There is a penetrating aspect to mindful awareness. But the penetration, like seeing things as they are, having insight, or seeing what you haven't seen before in your experience, 
that happens because of the continuity of mindful awareness, not because we're trying to see what we haven't seen, or trying to have an insight, or trying to wake up. He often says, that's greed. So when you catch yourself trying to see, trying to have insight, trying to see what you're not seeing, that trying is greed. Greed is a distorting quality in the mind. That's why this image, it's not a perfect metaphor, but the image of a mirror that is simply honestly reflecting what's happening in front of it, is a nice, it's a useful simile for mindful awareness, right? It isn't, because it, the, the, what the mirror is reflecting is what's being known. Oh, this is being known. So in a way, again, it's not perfect, but we're taking the stance as the one who knows, as the observer. But the observer doesn't really have a, you know, initially we think, oh, I'm the observer, I'm up here on the observation platform, gazing down at Mark's life, those are his emotion, those, that's his cognitive processing, this is what he's feeling in the body, this is what he's seeing with the eyes, this is what he's seeing, you know, but, but the more we cultivate that ongoing presence, the more we realize there isn't an observation platform. One of the discoveries as you, as you get more of those moments of continuity is there's no location for the knowing. We think there is. Initially we think that knowing's happening behind the eyeballs. Yeah, that's where the knower is. And we're given to sort of find ourselves kind of, oh yeah, I want to identify with the knower, and we kind of like physically sort of put ourselves there. But knowing doesn't have a location. Like, just check it out. This is a, I'm not talking about philosophically or intellectually, I'm talking about subjectively. Where's knowing? Knowing is here. Do you, are you doing the knowing? Is anybody doing the knowing? No, there's just knowing happening, right? Can you keep that in mind? What kind of effort do we need? And remember what I said earlier about being interested. It is interesting, naturally that there is knowing and nobody's doing it. We don't have to like try to be interested. We, once it's recognized, the mind is inherently interested. Just like if you went to a new place, you'd be inher- inherently interested to kind of check it out because it's new. And this territory is new. That's one of the aspects of the present moment, present moment awareness. It has a wild, unknown quality. Things are only boring when we think we know. And we only think we know when we're lost in thought. So when we're not lost in thought, when we're actually present, we don't know the moment. We only know the moment when we are in our story about the moment. (laughs) You know, it's like we're talking to a friend, and it's like, I I got this, because I know my friend, you know. this is the dance we do when we're together. But that's because we're in our thoughts. But every moment is quite alive and wild. But how often do we get that? Very rarely. 
because we're mostly in our thoughts. Even like uh, one of our trainings, like being with the breath and the body, how often does that seem boring? The thought of breathing in is incredibly boring. The thought of breathing out is incredibly boring. But the breath is never boring. It's the same thing like if you're sitting outside and there's a nice breeze. You know, the thought that there's a, that there's a breeze now, that's a boring thought. But the actual dynamic of being exposed and sensitive to the breeze, the nuances of that breeze, because it's, the mind doesn't know this breeze. It knows breeze as a concept, but it doesn't know this breeze. So if it's just with the experiencing of the breeze, the mind becomes very bright with interest, doesn't it? Or any ordinary experience, when the mind is really vividly there, it's not boring. But if you have a cat or a dog that you're gonna to feed tonight, the idea that I'm gonna go home and feed the cat it could be drudgery. But if we were just in the experiencing and the awareness that this is like this, this is being known, it could be life transforming. Any moment will do in terms of learning more and more about the nature of the mind, the nature of experience. So before I open it up for discussion, just remember these three trainings, these three investigations, the effort to be mindful, and to really understand what it is to be mindful. And how we often over-effort. Over-efforting might look like, well, I gotta put my attention somewhere. Well, in terms of mindfulness, you recognize this is being known. Thinking that I have to put my attention somewhere is being known. This is the way it is right now me neurotically trying to be a Buddhist, doing my Buddhist meditation practice, is being known. It's like this. And then the effort to sustain present moment awareness, whether you're using a meditation object like mindfulness of breathing, or just aware of whatever's predominant moment by moment. And then the effort and the experiencing of the mind getting distracted, like really illuminating that whole process of taking the off-ramp, getting involved in some mental content, feeling the emotional charge, how the charge, the emotion leads to more thinking, thinking leads to more emotion. Seeing that, seeing that it doesn't go anywhere, that it's endless, starting over again. Just seeing that, like what effort because you don't want to be afraid of distraction. That's a kind of a initial place in practice where we get a little continuity and then we become afraid that I'm going to get distracted, which is, by the way, a distraction. Like sitting there trying not to get distract, distracted is a distraction. Because we're not mindful, we're trying not to get distracted. But we're not aware that that's something being known, right? If we were, then we'd be practicing well. So, to really learn this essential place in practice, we need some continuity, and we need to allow distract, you know, the off-ramps to sort of show their cards. So we learn not to be afraid of all those off-ramps, 
I can obsess about this, I can regurgitate this pain, I can fantasize about this person, I can... You know, we have all these different things that the mind is well-greased to do, right? Because we've done them a million times before. But as the wisdom and the awareness deepens, develops, then we just let it rip. And we learn that mindfulness, the stability of mindful awareness, doesn't have to be afraid of being a human being with a lot of so-called bad habits to fantasize and plan and obsess and want revenge and, you know, want to blame this person or all the things we do with the, you know, all the habits of thinking. Yeah, so I just encourage you to get interested and find ways to develop this value, like being really, do I, you know, first initially just, do I value being present? Do I know what that means? Well, first let me have some experiences, and then I'll see if it's valuable. And if I discover from my, in my own experience that it's valuable, then I'm going to have some integrity around that, that discovery. I'm going to live my life as if it's actually valuable, if that's what my experience tells me. And then I'm going to be curious, like, well, what kind of life will allow me to develop this thing I've discovered is really helpful, really valuable? And because that's the only way we're going to develop our practice, we need a lifestyle of mindfulness. Living in a culture that's all about distractedness. <laughs> that's why we need places like this and teachings. Anyway, we have 10 minutes. It'd be nice to hear from some folks just sharing your own learning, whether it relates directly to what I've been talking about tonight or questions that are emerging. Remember to point the mic real close like this so we can hear each other. And maybe turn the lights a little brighter so we can see each other. Anybody want to begin? Nice to say your first name. What comes to mind? What experiences seem relevant to share with the group? Yeah, come in. Want to help pass the mic around? Thank you, Mark. Uh, I've been reading Sumedho a lot and um, using the sound of silence, the Nada Yoga, and um, uh, I think I got some benefit from that. I, I, it really helps me become aware of the present moment just because you know, I can just fall back into it. Uh, but then I read Buddhists who are kind of fundamentalists about the whole thing and say that what I want to know if it's not in the sutras and you know, kind of cancel a little bit of doubt on it. And, uh, but anyway, it's just like what, what you have to say about that practice and how, the best way to tie that in with the things that you're talking about. You know? Yeah. Thanks, Kermit. So Ajahn Sumedho is an American Buddhist monk and one of the most senior people um, in this early Buddhist tradition in the West, he, he uh, trained in Thailand with Achan Cha, one of the great Thai force masters of the last century who died in the early 90s. And he's sort of retired, he's like 86 now, 87. And what, an important teacher of my own uh, as well. Yeah, and he has this one thing that he just found very useful 
that Kermit mentioned, the sound of silence. Just that background sound, not the air conditioner. <laughs> but, you know, you notice it when you're quiet spaces, just that background hum. And, you know, a lot of people get a little afraid of this because they think, well, this is tinnitus, you know, that medical condition. And I think that ringing in the ears, you know, it might be related to this. But it's not, the way to think about that is generally, you know, as our practice develops, the more refined the present moment object that we used to develop the effort to be present and to sustain present moment awareness, the more sensitive, like if we're using a very refined or subtle meditation object, like the sound of silence, that background hum sound that a lot of people can hear when they're mindful and when things are simple, they can hear that. So when we're using a refined meditation object and we're connecting and sustaining present moment awareness, then that same refinement, subtlety that's needed to connect and sustain with that meditation object, will then notice even more subtle off-ramps to selfing, self-centered dramas, right? So it's really useful. And so one of the most, the, the basic way, like what are, what are the more subtle meditation objects? Well, I would call it the space of the present moment. Not what's going on, like the breath coming in, going out. That's something happening in the present moment. But as we develop concentration or the stability of awareness, samadhi, then we can notice more subtle things like, not that the breath is going in and out, but that it's being known. Where? It's being known here in the space of the present moment. Oh, interesting, this space of the present moment sounds like this. So some people are attuned to the auditory experience of space. Some people are attuned to the sort of spatial sense of space. Some people are so, uh, kind of tuned into the silent. But it, it's basically some subtle aspect of present moment awareness, whether that for you is the sound of silence, or the sense of space, or the sense of stillness, or the sense of brightness, light, right? But it's useful to, when the mind and the <clears throat> supporting conditions allow for things to get really subtle and settled, it's nice to train with that and to abandon more gross meditation objects. Just like for those of us who use a lot um, the mindfulness of the whole body, which is a great technique and something the Buddha highly encouraged to develop this ongoing awareness of the whole body. Well, some days it means being aware that the body's like twisted steel. It's very obvious, it's very gross, the tension the body holds, right? Or the pain that we're feeling or whatever. But sometimes the body's like space. There's not much obvious physical sensation in the way we normally think of physical sensation. It's not that the twisted steel or the old injuries have gone away, it's just that the mind is noticing the more subtle truth of the body. It's a little bit like in physics, you know, 
there's this lectern here that if I had an electron microscope, you know, there'd be the atomic and subatomic particles, but mostly what would this be, this lectern, from this settled space, right? There's more, it's mostly space between the spinning of the subatomic particles. In the same way like the solar system is mostly just space. The galaxy is mostly just space. Well, this is what we find when we pay attention to the present moment and we're attuning, like what the mind is interested in, the objects of experience, attuning to more and more subtle aspects. And this is why we often use, like when I mentioned that the present moment is always something being known, we tend to gravitate towards is being known because it's more subtle than the in-breath coming in, the physicality of that touching. What's more subtle is that it's being known. So this is a trick, or not a trick, it's just a, it's just a very useful thing that to develop the heart and mind, subtle is more significant than gross. Because what we need to uncover is subtle, that phenomena aren't worthy of grasping. But we have to see things coming and going in a very subtle, moment-to-moment way. So when we train with something like the sound of silence, or the sense of the space of the present moment, or the knowing that things are being known, not what's being known so much as that it's being known, the mind just gets more developed. Because to be attentive to what's subtle, and to sustain awareness with what's subtle makes the mind very subtle. And when the mind is very subtle, it sees the underlying nature of what's always been here, that has, the mind has just been too gross to notice. Right? Yeah. Yeah, there is a brightness that I notice when I, when I notice the awareness of the, the Yeah, because the mind is getting unified the samadhi is deepening. And that experience of samadhi, you can, I mean, there are some qualities that you can expect, like the mind being bright, the mind being stable, yeah, inner sense of well-being. Thanks, Kermit. Time for, nope, one more time. <laughs> I talked too much. So take up these three aspects of efforting, and we'll check back for those who return next week. We'll check back with each other. I'll save more time for conversation so we can learn from each other. Let's just take uh, 30 seconds, let go of the words, just enjoy a few moments of silence together. coming. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.